Hello to all our listeners out there in audio land. My name is Dan Dick, and I get to welcome you all to Church Matters. As usual, I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Janet Plennert. Hi, Dan, and a big hello to our listeners. So, Dan, why is our guest chair empty today? Yeah, about that. Remember last year when we learned about Emily Ralph and that she would be going to the United Kingdom to interview the author Stuart Murray? Yes. Isn't she that radio broadcaster from that country to the south of us? I remember working with you, Dan, on some interview questions that we were going to send along with Emily. Right. Well, I finally had some time to work with that material and get it into shape for Church Matters. So while our guest chair appears empty today, we do in fact have a guest, but our interaction with him will be via pre-recorded responses that he gave to our questions. So, Janet, I think you've read Stuart's book, The Naked Anabaptist. Yes, I have. Right. Here's a brief quote from the back of the book. Writing from Great Britain, Stuart Murray peels back the layers to reveal the core components of Anabaptism and what they mean for his context and ours. It's a way of following Jesus that challenges, disturbs, and inspires us, summoning us to wholehearted discipleship and worship. Now, would you please further introduce Stuart for our listeners? I'd love to. Stuart was born into a Plymouth Brethren faith tradition and was baptized at the age of 14. When he was in university, he was exposed to a much broader Christian world than he had ever known about, and he became involved with a mission team in a very multicultural part of London, England. This work grew into a church plant in that neighborhood, which he then led for 12 years. During this time, he was always on the hunt for resources that were new to him, things like poverty and discipleship, justice, community, and violence. And he found a number of helpful books written by Mennonites. And through his readings, he began to strongly identify with Anabaptists. Stuart is married to Sean, a Baptist minister, and they have two adult sons and one grandson. Now, although Stuart's book is geared to a United Kingdom audience, and it regards us as a sort of newly discovered species there, it can be very insightful to listen to someone from across the pond who sees us sort of stripped of our 200-plus-year Mennonite history here in North America. So, together, you and I designed some questions for Stuart that asked him to reflect back to us our history, our church, our Anabaptist values, and our cultural context here in North America. We started by asking Stuart why he wrote this book, and then what the response has been from North Americans, and here's what he said. The Naked Anabaptist was written not for a North American Mennonite audience, but for our post-Christendom British readership. However, because it is out in the States a few months ahead of the British version, it's already becoming apparent that North American Mennonites are finding it intriguing and challenging and somewhat disturbing. It presents the Anabaptist tradition, your tradition, in a way that may be surprising to you. This is an outsider's view, but it's a view that I hope will be uh, both challenging and uh, helpful to you. Feedback I've had so far has been very interesting. It wasn't written for that context, although there's a recognition in the foreword that it might be helpful for some people there. I think I've had two main responses so far, one from uh, people from a Mennonite background, perhaps grew up Mennonites, some young adults who have not been sure quite whether they belong still or what they make of their tradition. And the Naked Anabaptist seems to have given them a way of 
re-engaging with their tradition, making sense uh, without some of the cultural baggage that they were struggling with of the of the deeper convictions that they actually still hold to. So I think for some people it's been a kind of recovery process. They've begun to reappreciate their own tradition and what mattered to them um, without some of the cultural stuff that was getting in the way. The second response I've heard from a number of people has been from those who are not Mennonites, have no historic connection to the tradition, but have become aware of the Anabaptist tradition through writings or conversations with others. And the book seems to have been a way in which they can express to others, but also perhaps to themselves, what matters to them about the Anabaptist tradition. So those would be more similar to the people that the book was written for in the in the British context. Uh, we might call them neo-Anabaptists or hyphenated Anabaptists, but uh, they're people who are drawn to a tradition without necessarily all the the cultural baggage that goes with it. So after listening to that response, Janet, I was curious to know what Anabaptists in the United Kingdom see as the bare essentials of Anabaptism. What we've tried to do in the book is to be responsible to the historical tradition, so not to um, make Anabaptism mean whatever we want it to mean. So there is a historical rootedness. There's a chapter in the book that tells the story of the 16th century Anabaptist movement and traces something of the story from the 16th to the 21st century. But for us, the bare essentials are to do with certain convictions and values, uh, ways of thinking about discipleship, which can sometimes get lost in amidst all the history, all the cultural expressions that have developed as they do with any movement over, over a period of centuries. So the book is based around seven core convictions that members of the Anabaptist Network in Britain and Ireland uh, put together over the last uh, 15, 20 years. We uh, started as a network in 1991 and two or three years later put together seven core convictions to try to sum up what many of us were finding in Anabaptism. It wasn't designed as a creed, it wasn't designed as a, uh, a boundary uh, line so that people could only become part of us if they subscribed to everything, but it was a way of saying, those of us who are at the heart of this, these are the things that matter to us. And we've kept that as a working document, we've revised it a couple of times, we had a, a residential conference uh, about uh, seven or eight years ago, when we looked at the core convictions again, tested them, and made a few adjustments. So they, they haven't changed enormously. The, the, the essence is still where it was, but we have added bits and tweaked bits, and it remains a, an open and, and working document. Um, some people have said, well, it's a bit like the Schleitheim Confession, seven convictions. There was no deliberate aping of the Schleitheim Confession, but in some ways it has a similar kind of uh, function for us. It's a focal point. It's something which we've been able to gather around, but it's not something we're Im imposing in any way. The, uh, the first two core convictions focus on the person of Jesus, and I think for many of us it has been the uh, emphasis of the Anabaptist tradition on the life, the teaching, the example of Jesus that's been very important to us. Uh, many of us have come out of an evangelical tradition which has tended to focus more on the death of Jesus than the life of Jesus, and a tradition that has tended to see the Bible as a fairly flat book, so you can draw out of it whatever you want from wherever you want. And I think for many of us, the, the focus that the Anabaptist tradition has had on the life of Jesus and the uh, approach to biblical interpretation that the Anabaptist tradition has, has espoused, which is very much a Christocentric approach, 
have been very important to us. So the first two core convictions work with those ideas. The uh, other core convictions are partly to do with our context. So they name the reality of Christendom and post-Christendom, uh, recognising that for centuries we've been caught up in a, a context where church and state have been partners, where the church has often been associated with power and wealth and status. We're moving out of that, and it seems to many of us that the Anabaptist tradition has a lot to say to those who are now on the margins. There are convictions about church and the kind of community that we need to be in a post-Christendom world. There are convictions about ethics, in particular about economics and uh, the sharing of resources, the identifying with the poor, and as core conviction about peace uh, as being at the heart of the gospel. You know, I've traveled a lot globally, and I've met Mennonites. Sometimes they prefer to refer to themselves as Anabaptists in dozens of countries. Wherever I meet them, I'm always interested to know why Anabaptist understandings of Christian faith appeal to others. Now, let's listen to what Stuart had to say about that in the context of the United Kingdom. I think the growth in Anabaptism in the UK has been very surprising to many people, and I guess those of us who are involved have surprised ourselves, because we don't have any historical tradition here of, of uh, the Anabaptist uh, community. The uh, attempt of Anabaptists in the late 16th century to become established in England was rebuffed pretty strongly by the established church. So for 400 years, there's been little, if any, Anabaptist presence. The Beginnings of a recovery were just after the war, when uh, Mennonites arrived in Europe to help with post-war reconstruction, and the London Mennonite Centre was founded initially as a hostel for international students, and then developed into a teaching centre and uh, resource place. For many of us, it was contact with the centre itself, or with staff from the centre, who introduced us to the Anabaptist tradition. So in part, it's been a deliberate missionary effort from North American Mennonites to introduce the Anabaptist tradition into the UK. Uh, for many of us, it's also been simply discovering Mennonite writings and uh, realising that there is a tradition here which hasn't been part of our heritage, but which we have found very helpful. Uh, the two books that people name most frequently as their way into Anabaptism are uh, John Howard Yoder's The Politics of Jesus and the More With, More With Less Cookbook. Um, so for some people it's been a kind of intellectual, academic, theological journey. For others it's been very much more to do with lifestyle and values uh, and eating. So it's been a mixture of um, intentional Mennonite missionary efforts, uh, the embodiment of an Anabaptist tradition through personnel, um, the, Alan and Eleanor Crider would be those who are most known and most loved, I think, within the UK context, uh, and some reading and, and reflection around certain themes. I think the reason we feel that Anabaptism is beginning to find a place within British Christianity is because of the demise of Christendom, that we're moving into a context where the, the mainstream church traditions uh, don't find it easy to adapt to powerlessness, to marginality, to no longer being at the centre of society. The Anabaptist tradition has normally found itself there, certainly in Europe, and so it feels congenial. It feels as if some of the uh, ways in which Anabaptism has practised faith and discipleship and church over many years just makes sense today. And for many people, it's as simple as that. I think, too, the, uh, the peace witness has been important. Um, different people are drawn to Anabaptism for different reasons, but for many people, I think, it's encountering a tradition that is wholeheartedly committed to peace. 
has been a very important uh, reason for people coming towards the Anabaptist tradition. I'm fascinated by Stuart's responses to these questions, Janet. Now, I did a quick study of Mennonite presence in Britain and learned that in 1953, Mennonites officially started ministry there when they opened the London Mennonite Centre. So I was curious to know what impact North American Mennonites have had in the UK during the intervening decades. I think um, we have valued our relationship with uh, North American Mennonites and to a, a lesser extent we've had connections with European Mennonites as well. The great danger that British Anabaptists face is of an idealised, rather ethereal, disembodied Anabaptism. So it's a kind of radical set of ideas. What we have in the Mennonite tradition, in our contact with Mennonite congregations, is the earth reality of Anabaptism. And while initially that was somewhat disappointing, because Mennonite churches were not the perfect communities that we'd imagined from the values, um, it's been very important for us to recognise this is actually how life is, and uh, whatever your values, over time, communities develop in a variety of ways. And it's given us, I think, a more realistic connection to, to history. Um, a story that I often tell is of my first visit to North America in uh, 1994 uh, to take part in uh, an Anabaptist conference and uh, had my uh, teenage son with me. And uh, we were staying with some Mennonite hosts and I'd warned him that these American Mennonites were different from those Americans he'd seen in the films. And that these were peaceful people and these were people who lived simply. And uh, we were uh, taken to our host's home and driven up a very long drive to a, a significant sized house. We would call it a mansion, I think, in England. And we were greeted by a Mennonite carrying a shotgun. And it was an interesting experience. Uh, we discovered fairly soon that he was out, uh, he'd been out shooting geese off his property. Uh, so it wasn't uh, for use against humans, but nevertheless, it was a, an image that has stayed in my mind. And uh, my son uh, hasn't believed anything I've said about Mennonites ever since. So I think for us, it's partly to do with a sense of history. It's partly to do with recognizing that um, these things have to be lived out in practice and idealism needs to be earth in reality. So the, the connection has been very helpful to us. It's something we're very keen to, to maintain. I think the, the policy that Mennonite missionaries have had in the UK um, for the last 30, 40 years of not planting Mennonite churches, but being a resource to churches of all traditions, um, has been an interesting one. Um, I think there were real merits in that. It meant that Mennonites were not seen as competitive, another denomination, on the other hand, it's left us without much congregational embodiment. So we have Anabaptist individuals, we have people in churches who are drawn to the Anabaptist tradition and its vision, but not many um, congregational expressions. And for a tradition that is pretty strong on church, that's a problem. And we're just at the moment in a, a bit of a change of a process of moving from being a network of individuals to being a network of communities and organisations that are shaped by Anabaptist values, as well as a network of individuals. So we're, we're grappling with that. When a new set of eyes looks into my own church culture and my faith, I often come face to face with things I simply had come to accept and no longer question. So I wanted Stuart to share something of his experience with the Mennonite church in North America. And it's quite interesting what he has to say. I think what I've discovered uh, in conversations with North American Mennonites over the last 15 years or so 
has been a, a divide in the community between those who are really interested in the original Anabaptist movement community, the 16th century Anabaptists. Those tend to be the historians, the academics, those who are in the seminaries. And Mennonites who are in the churches, in the conferences, who are really not sure that the Anabaptist history has anything very much to say to them. It feels as if this is an academic pursuit. It's not something that is really going to make a difference to uh, local churches. So in some of those churches, there has been a tendency to simply want to be good evangelicals or to be like the mainstream churches or the liberal churches, but to uh, play down any kind of Mennonite distinctives. So it feels to me as if there is a, a quite a split personality within the Mennonite uh, world in North America. Um, and one of the things I've been trying to do when I've been there, and often working in both churches and seminaries, is to uh, encourage both to listen to each other, to help the academics to understand why the churches are not engaging with the Anabaptist tradition, and to encourage Christians in the churches to rediscover their own Anabaptist heritage. Um, I've very often had the strange experience of being much more excited about the Anabaptist tradition than Mennonites who seem to have forgotten their own tradition. But I think there are probably reasons for that that are more than just the academic dimension. Um, because the first generation Anabaptists were quite scary. You know, they were not particularly quiet and self-effacing and humble like the uh, prototypical Mennonite. They were um, pretty rabid, I think. They were energetic, they were evangelistic, they were um, subversive, unconventional. They were not easy people to be with. And I think there is something about the, the radical tradition that is quite scary and doesn't fit very easily into a more settled Mennonite community. And I think that's true of many church traditions, that uh, rediscovering your ancestors can be a bit of a shock to the system. There are things they did and said and ways they operated that really don't quite fit into a more settled pattern. So I, I can I can sympathise with the uh, the reluctance to really engage with that. I, I guess one issue in particular is the um, way in which Mennonites generally in North America seem to struggle with the notion and practice of evangelism. And what I've picked up is a, a reluctance to verbalise faith. There's been a general emphasis on, well, living the faith, living the gospel, uh, living distinctively, and, well, maybe others will take notice and uh, be drawn to the faith that we are living. Uh, now, I think that's uh, something which may have worked at a time when most people around knew the gospel story and could perhaps interpret a distinctive life in terms of gospel values. That may still be true in some parts of North America, but in uh, post-Christendom Europe, that's completely gone. Uh, the story is unknown. It's not enough to live distinctively. You've actually got to tell a story that isn't known. And I suspect that's going to increasingly be the challenge for North American Mennonites. So not just to live distinctively, but to explain why, to tell the story that is the basis of, of those distinctive ways of living. Now, I don't see the early Anabaptists being shy of telling the story. Far from it. They would sometimes interrupt state church services to tell the story. Um, and so there's a, a real challenge there, I think, in terms of how a community that has become very quiet and very self-effacing and very reluctant to verbalise faith can recapture something of the original willingness to speak, um, because it's going to be essential for the future. Yeah, Janet, I don't know how I would feel about driving up uh, the driveway of a Mennonite home and uh, meeting a fellow with a shotgun at the front door. Now, regular listeners will know that we often talk about the distinction between Mennonite cultural and Mennonite expressions of Christian values. 
This is a recurring theme in Stuart's responses, so I wanted to know how, from his perspective, the Eurocentric cultural and historic traditions and values of us North American Mennonites affect our witness. And here's what he said about that. I think to the um, recognition of how much of the Mennonite culture is quite difficult for anybody outside to penetrate, there is a whole set of assumptions about um, values and shared stories, common names, all kinds of things, which um, from the outside appear to be quite a barrier. Uh, however welcoming the community may be in its ethos, however invitational, nevertheless, there are all kinds of things that you you just don't know you don't know. And it's going to take you a decade or more um, to, to understand. So something about how to be uh, an invitational, open, accessible community that recognises uh, that there is a process that people need to go through in order to become fully part of the community. How you do that and yet hold on to your distinctives and the things that you value, that's going to be quite a, an interesting challenge. Now, Dan, from reading The Naked Anabaptist, I do know that Stuart has done a lot of research and study about Anabaptist history. And some of it, he says, has been airbrushed right out of the historical Mennonite story. I think one other area that interests me is the extent to which the early Anabaptists were uh, a people of the spirit. They could be in part described as an early charismatic movement, certainly uh, a movement that's paid considerable attention to being led by the spirit as they worshipped, as they read scripture, and in, in all spheres of life. Um, when I did doctoral research into the Anabaptist movement, I kept coming across um, passages in writings and incidents in 16th century Anabaptist history that didn't seem to be reported in Mennonite historians' accounts. They weren't in the textbooks. And many of them were to do with the work of the Spirit and uh, what we might now describe as charismatic experiences. Uh, and I just find it interesting that those parts of the story appear to have been airbrushed out of Mennonite history. Uh, and coming at these sources uh, from a background of charismatic spirituality, um, I guess I picked up on some of those things. Um, I just wonder whether that's something which Mennonites uh, may at some point need to, to grapple with. And it may be that the change in the demography of North American Mennonites will help. So the uh, growing numbers of African-Americans, Latino, Hispanic Americans, um, for whom spirituality, charismatic phenomena, the whole spirit world is, is much more of a lived reality. That might actually be a, a way into addressing some of these issues. Janet, you and I know from our work and our history of working uh, in Europe that the United Kingdom and Europe are farther down the road of a secular society than we are here in Canada. You'd concur with that, right? Yes, I would. But we are rapidly heading in that direction too, and I think you'd concur with that as well. Yep. So we know from our ministry work in Europe that we can no longer expect most people to have even a passing familiarity with Christianity or the Bible or the gospel story. So I wanted to know what advice Stuart might have for the Mennonite Church here. Deep within the Anabaptist tradition is a missionary vision and an evangelistic uh, dimension. And the recovery of that, I think, is going to be essential for the future if Mennonites want to do more than simply live quietly and uh, raise families and hope that enough of their children embrace the faith that they will be able to survive for another generation. If there is any real desire to reach out beyond that to an increasingly 
secular, post-secular, spiritual, multi-faith, whatever society, then learning afresh to tell the story and to do so both graciously and boldly, I think is going to be a, a significant challenge. Um, now, I don't think that's new for Mennonites, but I think it's a renewal of an original vision that has been subsumed under all sorts of other things for a long time. Well, this has been fascinating. And Dan, this concludes our virtual interview with Stuart Murray. I look forward to chatting with him again one day. There's so much more I'd like to talk to him about. Same here. Now, before we wrap up, I want to give a big shout out to Emily Ralph, who recorded Stuart Murray for us, and to John Longhurst, who helped us set this up. A big thank you to both of you. And I want to send out a great big thank you to all of our listeners, wherever you are. I invite you to support the Ministry of Church Matters with a gift. You can give over the phone, through mail, in person, and online at MennoniteChurch.ca. You can also call us toll-free, 1-866-888-6785, or email churchmatters at MennoniteChurch.ca. My name is Janet Plennert. And I'm Dan Dick, and you've been listening to Church Matters. And as always, our prayer is that you will be called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Tune in wherever you are, and thanks for listening. See you next time. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.